This episode is brought to you by Cloudflare Pages. For more, visit enjoytheview.io slash cloudflare hyphen pages. Knock, knock. Who's there? Async. Async who? Hello, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Alex, and today on our panel we have Ari. Hello. Hello. And Tessa. (laughs) Hello. And... (laughs) Today, we'll be talking about the asynchronous event loop in JavaScript and, to a certain extent, Vue. Have either of y'all really used async await very much? Asynchronous programming, lots of stuff asynchronously, done much of that? More of a promises girl, but yeah, I've used, I've used async await as well. Have some horror stories. <laughs> War stories. Yeah, I love async await. I have definitely used it, and I really did not understand what the heck was going on when I was first using it when I got into programming. So there are times that I wish somebody had kind of explained it to me a little bit better earlier. I don't think async await was around when you got into programming. It was like in a proposal when I got back into programming. But even then, at that point, we had like callbacks that mental model did not work for me at all. Insert callback to that episode where we made callback jokes. So today we want to talk about the event loop and like asynchronous programming and Vue sort of has its own asynchronous update queue that it uses. So Tessa, what is an asynchronous update queue? Basically, the idea is that when you make a change to your data in Vue, it doesn't happen right away because that would potentially be inefficient. So what it does is it groups all the changes together and then batch runs through them at a set point in time. And so that's the queue that they all get added to. And so one of the advantages of this is, let's say that I have a shopping cart and I really want to add a specific Legend of Zelda game to my shopping cart for some reason. I'm very passionate about this specific game, like boldly, largely passionate. (laughs) So I'll add the game and then I'll change the amount on the game, the quantity of the game on my cart a bunch of times. I'll make it five and I'll make it two and I'll make it one and I'll make it five. But let's say I do it programmatically. If you could update the data to be two and then five and then whatever all the other numbers I said were, or it could see that I'm changing the same thing over and over and over again and be like, okay, I'm just going to take the last number. I'm not going to go through all that unnecessary additional work. Basically, it's like doing your math without showing the work. And that's what Vue does. Teachers love it. And in most cases, that's a good thing. (laughs) But every once in a while, it's not. Yeah, because it it all happens at this special point in time known as the next tick. And so if you're expecting things to show up and you're kind of messing around with things in a way that the next tick isn't going to trigger yet, then you can run into frustrations where like, hey, my UI isn't updating because it's still waiting on the next tick to update. So one example I have of when that didn't work out well for me was I was trying to control multiple uploads from a single parent. 
but I didn't want the uploads to start until the user clicked a start button. So, you know, they could select the files and then once they'd selected all the files they wanted, then they could hit start. And then I needed a way to tell the, the children that it was time to start the upload. So I was like, okay, I'll just have a property that is start upload and I'll set it to true when it's ready. But, you know, in case they want to add more, I need to then set it to false again after. So I programmatically set it to true and then false, but nothing happened because they only knew about the final value of false. So that's where fun set timeouts come in. <laughs> or if you want to feel fancy, next tick. I actually ran into that just, well, sort of ran into that just the other day. With, yeah, I was about to say you're not using, you're using web components, so how did you run into it? Well, okay, so I was making a new command for my Twitch stream to show confetti all over the screen when somebody types in the right command. It's using a canvas element, and so I'm programmatically like adding some settings to an array, and then I needed to use the canvas element generated by adding things to that array. But because the thing was not actually in the array yet, I had just told it, hey, go put it in the array. The element hadn't appeared yet because it hadn't rendered. So I had to like be like, okay, wait, hold on. Let's wait until the data has actually updated the DOM. And then we can start like applying effects to it and stuff. And then there were set timeouts involved with that as well. So uh, it was <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> All this happens at the point of the next tick, but what what is the tick, I think, is is a pretty big question. I don't know where this metaphor came from. I'm not a big fan of it because my understanding is a tick is basically one entire cycle of an event loop. What comprises an entire cycle is basically like every time a task gets done, which is a certain type of operation, and then there are like smaller types of tasks, like micro tasks, kind of that defines the length of the event loop. It's like the big one big task and then a bunch of little tasks. So the next time you have another big task, then that would be the next loop. But if you think about a clock, when it ticks once, like that's not a whole cycle of a clock. So I don't I don't really know why it's called the tick and this is the next tick. But I think it, it's something that comes from more like lower level programming languages. And so all the stuff in your next tick happens at the end of the loop. So the view implementation specifically, at least if I'm remembering correctly, as of like 2017 or 2018, is that it wraps all of your little micro task things, like usually things that you might put in a promise, stuff like that, into a set immediate. And then it'll run that set immediate at the end of the loop in that next tick moment. And then it'll run all of the other like internal view stuff around that time as well. But it's weird because if you use set immediate, but set immediate is not available, then it will default to a set timeout with a timeout of zero. I don't remember the details of this. I was testing it out for the talk that I gave at ViewConf in 2018. I tried set immediate and set timeout. And I think set immediate ran after set timeout with a timeout of zero. But like according to the implementation, it should either run before set timeout if it is actually set immediate or it should run in order, whether it's set timeout or set immediate, if they're all going to be set timeouts anyway, but it didn't do that. I think it was 2019. Ooh, good memory. Wait, 
Either way, so, we'll 20, find a link 20, to the 20, talk and throw it in It, it was 2018 because 20, 2019 ViewCon was like the last. No, that was 2020 ViewCon was the last time I went outside. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> it was literally like a week before the world shut down. <laughs> Actually, Austin shut down the day I was flying out. But yeah, I mean, that that's like kind of nitty gritty stuff that you you probably like I would be very surprised if you needed to know to that level of detail to to get your app working. But it can be kind of hard to wrap your mind around if you're not as familiar with asynchronous programming slash have not encountered the event loop before or like the Phil Roberts talk about the event loop. Yeah, like, for example, I don't know if you guys have ever done this. You tried to do something with a a ref in a component in like the mounted (laughs) hook and it didn't work because it didn't exist yet. Oh, yeah. Or like trying to use the ref reactively, which wasn't a thing at, at that point in time. There was one job I did where we had to integrate jQuery stuff into a view install, there was a lot of next tick where it was like, okay, I need to wait and make sure that the element is there so that the jQuery stuff will work correctly. Okay. I have to, why? Why? So that job was, there was a theme. I've worked on two apps with jQuery and Vue. Yeah. There was a theme that was written in Bootstrap 3, which Ah. heavily uses jQuery as well as some things where it was like a carousel and stuff. And I was like, I am the only developer on this. I don't have time to re-implement a carousel. I will make this work. And so I did. But I got very good at being like, all right, where am I in the life cycle? We're here. And then it's going to do this thing. And so I need to wait until this. And then I'm going to do a next tick and then wait for another next tick. And then it will do the thing. And it'll be great. I'm a big fan of just using recursion and mounted until refs are available. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I wish we, that we were weren't a joke, using, but it's not. <laughs> <laughs> we weren't using Bootstrap. I think we just used jQuery because somebody somebody liked it. Yeah, it was it was a brand new Greenfield View app with jQuery. Eventually, what? they did take it out, but they were very sad, and that was like after I, six mm, months why? of development. Sometimes you just got access stuff on the DOM, Ari. How else are you going to do it? I don't know, vanilla. <laughs> But you need that. You need that IE9 support. Something, something hot take. This is why I learned Vue, so I don't have to learn JavaScript. Just kidding. I did recently have to refresh my memory on how to do things the vanilla way recently. Every once in a while, Vue doesn't have a way to do what you need to do. (gasps) Shock. Yeah. No, I needed to set the background color of a checkbox based on what ID it was associated with. And the easiest way to do that was just vanilla JavaScript accessing the DOM. But I had to do it in a ref (laughs) in Mountain (laughs) to check if that checkbox was already checked when it loaded. So that was super fun. So really, I just touched on all the things we just talked about. (laughs) But it's very pretty. Because yeah, the thing was, is it's an interactive table and set of graphs and you can select which graph plots you want to see from the table. But given the the screen real estate constraints, like we couldn't show a full legend in the graph. So we're like, well, what if we made the color of the checkboxes the same color as the plots for that organization? And so that's what we did. 
not super accessible, but oops. You can zoom in on the graph and it shows you the full legend, FYI. So, <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes, you know, working with the update queue can be tricky. Like, my own investigation into this stuff started when I had to update some unit tests. And there was like six next ticks in there in a row. I was like, there was like set timeout, next tick, next tick, set time. I was like, why do we need all these next ticks? And they were like, I don't know. But without that number of next ticks, it just doesn't work. And I was like, well, that doesn't make sense. I was like, what the heck's a next tick? And at the time, it just said like, you know, when when updates to the DOM happen, which is like my understanding is actually the virtual DOM and not your actual DOM. Like the actual DOM changes happen at a later point in time which can get you, but usually it's hard to get between like the next tick where it changes the data and then the DOM update. Like you'd have to be doing something really on purpose to get to that area in the loop, I think. It's tricky. It's helpful to have an understanding of the event loop or other loop processes to understand what's going on, but it can still be a little bit confusing because it is asynchronous. Previously on Cloudflare for the Dramatic. Hey, I need a website for my rainforest-themed bookstore, but, but I don't have a big budget for ongoing server fees. Is that, like, something you can do? And now, Cloudflare for the dramatic! Did you see the requirements list for this site? I know! It's a thousand meters long! They need us to use a JavaScript framework! Cool, Cloudflare Pages supports gems. And they need something called Git Integration? Yeah, Cloudflare Pages allows you to publish right from your GitHub repository. And on top of all of that, they expect this beast of a website to be performant? <laughs> Ahem. Like I've been trying to say, Cloudflare Pages supports all that and allows you to collaborate with others using advanced site previews with unlimited admin seats so you can include the whole team. Plus, it's super performant thanks to their vast edge network. To learn more, visit enjoytheview.io slash cloudflare hyphen pages. out? Will they get their Jamstack website up and running? Will they be able to make a site that works smoothly across the globe? Find out next time on Cloudflare for the dramatic! Guess I'll add this to the next sprint. We all know what the event loop is, right? The, isn't that the conference circuit that we go on to give talks on the event loop? Oh, you're alive. Sorry, I was looking at the V3 source code trying to figure out next tick. I didn't, so good job me. <laughs> All I saw was you staring at your monitor and smiling. So if somebody asked me to guess what you were doing, <laughs> it would not have been looking at V3 source code. But now I know. It just makes me so happy. No, so the event loop is the thing where you can like delay stuff and then do it later with the things and it's asynchronous 
Yeah. Something about a stack, a heap. I don't know. So there's a whole heap of stacks in there. Q. <laughs> I'm just I'm just looking at that graphic that you found on MDNRI and thinking like, you know, those objects kind of look like meatballs if I'm squinting. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically like you're giving Java a bunch of JavaScript commands. So it's like, how does it determine what order all of those things are going to execute in? It's, in my experience, not uncommon to get as a question on like a, a job interview. I haven't thought about the loop loop in a while, so my understanding is a little, a little rusty and not in like the back end sense. But it's also what determines your call stack. Like when you're trying to debug something and you're you're looking at all of the stack frames or execution context in the console, that's that's the result of the queue. So it's like I want to do a bunch of stuff, and it'll be like, okay, we need to do a bunch of stuff. So we'll add that to the stack, and that's one stack frame. And then you're like, inside that, you're like, oh, I need to do more stuff. Like, let's say you're doing a loop inside a loop. And it's like, okay, well, that's another context. So it adds another stack frame. The way I'm describing it is very confusing. But basically, it's like a, a multiple like data structures that control JavaScript because something about JavaScript being single-threaded. But, you know, we all need more than one thing to happen at a time. So making external calls to like, now I can't think of the word, but things outside of JavaScript, like a C runtime or something to do extra tasks for you, that's all handled by this event loop system. And it's to, since JavaScript is single-threaded and ties into how the system renders the web page, if your task is taking too long, it will block like human interaction. So if your tab ever gets the spinning wheel of death, it's usually what it is, is that you've you've done something that's blocking the, the thread that's rendering and like handling input and stuff. And you, you done made a boo-boo. So. And that's why we have asynchronous programming in JavaScript. Yes. Yay. Yay. The alternative is synchronous, which is blocking. That means you will do nothing else until I'm done with you. <laughs> Rawr. Yeah, although my understanding is that like blocking doesn't mean it never happens, right? It's just like, okay, I'm going to save all of these user interactions until the next time that the queue is free. And then I'm going to jam all of them in there. You're going to get all 500 clicks in one second. It doesn't deduce yes. them. Yes. But yeah, so so the queue part, if I'm remembering correctly, is basically like the the next tick area of of the event loop because things that go into the queue are those like capital t tasks and those things can only run when the stack is free so the stack is like where all of the things that are like maybe kicked off by the queue go and it's like okay have a million little things to do and then the queue is like okay now i gotta wait so that's the part that gets blocked i feel like this only makes sense to people who already have some familiarity with the event loop so it's a bit like if i add an event handler, like a, a click handler to a button, right? So there is this nebulous event that may or may not happen. And when it happens, that click, that event doesn't necessarily fire immediately. It gets put on the end of the event queue, the, the event loop queue. And then once, if it's the next thing, then it will fire and do the thing that I told it to do. Is what you're saying. Maybe. Kind of. Sort of. All right. So 
the stack is the part that like when I call a function, that function starts putting things into the stack to be called and do. Yes. And that's yeah. the blocking operation. That is what we call a blocking operation because that is all synchronous. And then when we take that function and we say, okay, cool, I have this function that I've made and I'm going to give this function to an event listener. So like we add an event listener for click on a button that sort of lives nebulously in the heap until somebody clicks the button. So the heap is like this nebulous area where things sort of imagine if you will, a frozen yogurt shop. No, Uh, no, no, no. It was nice having you on the show. Something, something. No. So the heap is sort of this nebulous area where things live in memory. They're like the things that you are manipulating. Your DOM is in there. Your like all the functions that are available to you, your scope, whatever, like all of the stuff is sort of like there in the heap. And until you call it or use it, it exists there. Once you call it or use it, it goes on the stack, basically. So when you make an event listener, it sort of goes into the heap and it's like, oh yeah, no, I'll I'll let you know when something happens. And when something happens, it takes whatever you told it to do and it puts it at the end of the queue. And then once the queue is cleared out and gets to that function call, you can, it then gets put on the stack and the whole thing starts again. So it's sort of like being at the airport when you're checking your baggage. Mm -hmm. So you have to wait in line until... The stack is free, a.k.a. An, an agent to weigh your bag and all of that fun stuff. And if you did something wrong, you have to go back to the back of the line because you didn't have all this stuff. I was thinking more like I have a heap of clean laundry over there. So if I take Who has <laughs> that? Close, put it on. <laughs> if you have made a recursive function before, then you already have, in theory, at least like an inferred level of understanding of how all this works. Because when your top level function calls itself, then like, let's say you have a recursive function on top of like a console log, right? The console log can't run until the recursive function is done running. So the console log is the next task in the queue, but it has to wait its turn. And then the recursive function calls itself, which calls itself, which calls itself, And so these are all adding more additional calls to the stack. And so it keeps on adding, adding more calls of itself to the stack until it hits your base case where it's like, okay, I know what I needed. Now I can return back to the function that called me. So that removes that context or stack frame off of the stack and goes back to the function that called it. And it's like, okay, now I have the data I need. So that gets removed off the stack and so on until you get to the original recursive function call that kicked off all of the other recursive function calls. And it's like, okay, I know the meaning of life now. And then it gets removed from the stack. And then you can move on to the next task, which is the console log. Also, if you've ever made a recursive function and messed something up and didn't give it a a way to end, you will have received something called a stack overflow error, which does not mean that you've done something wrong on stackoverflow.com. No, it means that you have put too many operations on the stack and the stack has a limited size. By limited, I mean, I think there's like, you do like a million things or something like that before it goes like, and I think it's like several hundred thousand. Yeah. 
But once it does, once it reaches that point where you have too many things in it, it stops and throws a stack overflow error because you have overflowed the stack and it doesn't know what to do and it can't make more room. So it just stops. I would argue, though, it's easier to make an error on stackoverflow.com. Like you just post a question and they're like, this is off topic and close it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You post the correct answer on the wrong thing and then they ban you for life and... Yeah, this is calling to mind. I saw a tweet the other day that was like, what's your favorite terminal command? And everybody was like, oh, ls this or rf that. And I was just like, control C. I need it all the time. Control C. My favorite command is there's an alias for please. It's called please. And so if you're doing something as an administrator or you want to do something as an administrator, but you forget to put... I mean, put, it's an alias for sudo, right? Or sudo, however people say it. No, no, no so you put... So like you forget to put sudo... So you type in like the command and it goes like, you don't have permission to do that. You can type in, you can make an alias for a thing that called please. And you just say please. And it does the last command plus sudo. So it'll run it again. So you just go, so like it goes like, no. And you go, please. And it goes, okay, yeah, we'll run. Sorry, off topic. Yeah, I think, I think lately IDEs seem to be doing something in the background where they predict that you're going to create like an infinite loop. And so it'll like either warn you before you run your code or like while you're running your code, like it won't even bother getting to the point where you overflow the stack. It's just like, this is going to overflow the stack and it stops you, which is nice. I have crashed a uh, Repolit so many times while I was learning JavaScript. What was the end of the knock-knock joke? Async, it's now time to move on to this week's picks. Oh, <laughs> Amazing. Ari, would you like to go first? We'll start with what I'm currently playing. That is Skyward Sword, the HD release on Switch. Hey, if you like you. Zelda games. That? Yeah, sorry, you didn't say it right, I don't think. Hey, can you say, um, can The you Legend that? of Zelda, Skyward Sword, HD. <laughs> the joke there being that I copied and pasted, and it was in very large font in our document, and so now I will never live that down. Nope. So you can optionally do the motion controls, which are better than they were on the Wii, at least. Motion controls are still kind of awkward, so I don't know if you really want to go down that road, but it's an option. It's obviously it's not like the best Zelda game, but it's still fun because Zelda, yeah. So I'm like halfway through it. I'm enjoying it. And then my second pick is just something cool that I found out this week that I just did not know previously. And that is that you can use command or control depending on what operating system you're using. Command or control K. And that is a shortcut for inserting a link. So no more right clicking. <laughs> you're welcome. Like you mean to, to turn a text into a hyperlink, right? Yeah. Hmm, interesting. I, wait, I, I need to go back to the best Zelda thing because you said it like we all obviously know what the best Zelda game is. And I'm like, I don't. Oh, no. I mean, there's a range. There's a spectrum. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't say that I'd be surprised if it topped anyone's list. I did not enjoy flying in that game. I had I had the one. Flying like, the was so Wiimote. hard. It was so oh hard. And I'm convinced that the gold Wiimote weighs more than the regular. I haven't actually tested it, but it's like my arm is sore when I played that game. No, but also like they did not adequately train you. Like I had to look it up to figure out how to like efficiently gain altitude. It turns out you flap it like a bird, which makes sense once you know, but when you don't, it, yeah. 
Anyway, and they made you I go through like the trading like so many times. It was like at the start of the game, I was like, put it in the game after I like the game. <laughs> I have never really played. I've started one Zelda game and that's it. So I'm. Well, it was really nice having you here, Alex. Yeah, I know. Bye. Skyward Sword is actually the only Zelda game I've ever finished. So would that make it your favorite? No, Breath of the Wild is my favorite. <laughs> I, which is funny because I don't usually like Zelda games. I usually don't like open world, but I really like that game for some reason. I'm like, it's really relaxing. But even though Ari is making this disgusted face, I feel like she'll understand that I got to the final boss level. And then I was like, I have 5 million micro task collectible things on my queue that I have to clear out first. I don't want to beat the game. And then it turns out I can't go back and finish every little thing. So I just never finished the game because I was like, I have such a long to do list. Relatable. I should mention, I got all of the Korok seeds. I am so proud of myself. Oh my all god. 900. Oh, I remember when you messaged me that. And I was like, Jesus Christ. All of them. <laughs> By the way, really you get a golden out, turd. That is your reward. <laughs> That's great. I would, I would wear that everywhere. It's like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I could commit to that. Just like I couldn't commit to digging up all the, I don't know what it was, but like Okami, there's this there's this thing where you have to dig holes all around the country, but some of them only appear at night. So you have to happen to be looking in the right place at the right time to see it. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Okay, enough Zelda. <laughs> yep. Tessa, what are your picks this week? My pick is this British candy. I really like sour, sour gummies and gummies in general. But like if you were wanting to find one that like didn't have corn syrup, for example, or didn't have artificial colors or flavors, that really limits your selection. I still haven't found a gummy that fits that criteria and is actually sour. But yeah, I saw this thing called Candy Kittens the last time I was looking for candy and I was like, oh, those look interesting. And it's like an assortment of fruit flavored gummies that tastes pretty different to other other gummies I've had before. They come in all kinds of flavors. My favorite so far is the sour watermelon. It's not sour. It's not super gummy, but it just tastes kind of, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I don't really like this word. It tastes kind of wholesome. Like it has a wholesome flavor. It doesn't really taste like, like a lot of candies I feel like have a very kind of like flat or like tart sweetness. And this doesn't have that. It's like more of like a gently sweet gummy that's not super gummy. And when I was looking for the link, I saw that they have a web exclusive gourmies bundle that comes with a candy kittens bucket hat. And I just thought that was really funny. So I added a link to that too. There's also no palm oil in it, which I didn't know was a thing that could get added to gummies. But when it's added to chocolate, often I find it has like a weird texture and aftertaste. So I was like, okay, that's nice. Interesting. Good to know. My picks this week are Olivia Beaumont is an artist that we really like. She does a lot of paintings of stuff. And we have several prints of her work uh, at home. We have a sloth with a chalice dressed up in a suit. And I think we also have like a badger. She does really interesting portraits. We found her in we found her art in Savannah, Georgia, when we were down there. And we sort of instantly were like, this is really weird. And we love it. Shout out to Olivia Beaumont. Go look at her work. Maybe buy some of it if it intrigues you. My second pick this week is the board game Obscurio. It is a board game that some friends of ours introduced to us. Imagine it's a bit like Mafia or... 
Avalon or Resistance where there's a traitor among you and you have to try and figure out who the traitor is. But then also like you're attempting to escape with a book. And so the book is trying to help you escape, but the traitor is actively like making it not possible for you to like actively working against you to escape. And then like you have to choose a door. It's a whole thing. So there's like code names, Dixit vibes, but then there's also like Avalon vibes, but then there's also like it's really interesting. It's a really good game. You should play it with like five people is the thing. It has to be like played. exactly five? Four, four like at minimum Excellent. five. We did it with okay. four and it kind of worked, but we were like, yeah, no, you really needed another person for this. So that is my, those are my picks for this week. And that's all for this week's episode. If you aren't following us on Twitter, head on over and find us at Enjoy the Viewcast. And if you like cats, you can find us at Enjoy the View Cats. Be sure to subscribe to the show if you aren't already. And, you know, if you have time, you should go to the place where you get your podcasts from and leave a review so that we look good. If you don't like the show, don't leave a review. That's fine. Finally, the first rule of View Club is... Be sure to tell at least five or six colleagues about View Club. Thanks for listening, and until next time, enjoy the view. I sincerely hope someone is out there telling the same five to six colleagues every week. Did you listen to the show? You should listen to the show. We're all subscribed, Alex. Stop telling us. (laughs) 